I think I spend probably 75% of my life talking with people who are coming up against their evangelical upbringing. So, so they are living in the world and they're the philosophical undergirding that they were given through their meta story, which for many of these folks is just down the middle of the road, evangelical Christianity. They find that it is insufficient to deal with the existential questions of life. Welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place where we're learning to follow Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. I'm your host, Matthew Lewis, and I'm so glad you've joined us on the journey. Hello, everybody in Follower Podcast Land. Uh, we're not doing any particular follower series at the moment. I think for the next couple of episodes, I'm just uh, inviting different voices to come and speak to us about a variety of different things. And as you know, if you're a listener to the podcast, really our focus here is, is how do we follow Jesus to the depths of his heart and to the ends of the earth? How do we follow Jesus in the world today? And an emphasis on that idea, because, you know, for the longest time, we maybe thought that this was about believing a bunch of ideas rather than molding our life around a person. And um, recently I came across the work of a guy called Andy Squires. Some of you may know him. Uh, in fact, some of you, Hannah, if you're listening to this, you actually connected me to Andy's work through some of his music a couple of years ago. And then most recently, Andy has been putting out some kind of short essays on his Instagram page. And I've been so encouraged just by reading these things. I think the thoughts that he shares are, are helpful in the way that they um, kind of critique a lot of the things that we take for granted in the Christian faith, but need to rethink again. In some of his language, increasing our Christian vocabulary and imagination. And um, so I invited him. I just reached out to Andy and I said, Andy, uh, through Instagram, this is one of the great things of social media. I said, would you be on the podcast? And uh, really fully expecting to get one of those polite emails where someone says, thank you so much, but we're busy with some stuff. And Andy very kindly agreed to be on the podcast. So Andy, welcome to the follow-up podcast. We're so glad that you could be on with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you, man. Um, I thought for our, our conversation today, really, I'm going to entitle it uh, Introducing Andy Squires. <laughs> Not so much to the world, um, but just to the little community of people who listen to uh, follow a podcast. And um, you put out something recently on your Instagram page where you introduced yourself, really. And I thought that was a fantastic template for us to, to kind of start with. And we'll just run through that. And uh, I'm going to pull out a few things from that, if that's okay with you, Andy. Cool. So in the beginning of that introduction, you, you say this, you say, I'm a man in my late 40s. I've been married to my wife for 27 years. All my children are beautiful and smart. Um, I have one grandchild and uh, he is the joy of my life. I work as a pastor in a small church, which I really love. I also write and sing songs and travel around occasionally to do that in front of people. Um, I wondered if we could start, if you could tell us a little bit about your family and your church um, and how you got into music, just as an introduction space. Yeah, so I, I, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm a part of a little Christian community here. Uh, I've been at, uh, I've been here for six years, and I have um, been the worship pastor here. Uh, but have recently transitioned into 
um, taking on a larger role in the leadership of the church, my wife and I. Um, uh, uh, so I got into music through the church. You know, I, I was, um, it's a complicated story, but for the better part of my young, you know, teenage years, young adulthood was involved in the evangelical church and um, ended up leading worship. And then in my early 20s began, I, I had always written poetry and stories. I was not, I wasn't a good student in school. I was a horrible student, but I did excel in my English literature classes. The, that was always the one class that could keep my attention. So uh, began my songwriting journey fairly early on. And, um, you know, fast forward, I, I took a turn at some point, I think it was around 2008, 2009. I, 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 I shifted my artistic approach in my songwriting and my music making. And I went from my, there's a value system within contemporary Christian music that is fairly apparent if you've if you've studied it for any any length of time, but it's 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 fairly narrow. The aesthetic is fairly predictable, and I think around 2008 2009, I just made a concerted effort to not give myself over to that value system anymore. And I began to write songs um, more, more from artistic virtues than utilitarian ones. And, and I, I, I think within the evangelical church, at least, there's a high estimation for what is useful and a very low value on what is beautiful or, or, or what is challenging. So, so often in our contexts, we abandon things that might discomfort or challenge uh, or, or say things differently than we're used to hearing them. So I, I kind of had a moment where I just stopped caring about whether I was going to be affirmed by the church at all. And I just started making art for the sake of art making. And that actually just changed everything for me. It, it, um, it opened up an audience for me that I, one, I didn't know existed, but I had always been ambitious to achieve. Like I had, I had done some worship albums over the years and had a little bit of success in the worship music world, but um, nothing, nothing like I enjoyed after I started writing music that was just kind of like just i i mean my my question that i would always ask myself is would leonard cohen listen to this or would bob dylan listen to this and if the if the answer was no then i wouldn't then i wouldn't write it i wouldn't put it out you know mm. so Mm. And how did, um, you know, I, I do a little bit of writing myself and, and I, I can really relate to what you're saying in terms of that utilitarian versus the beautiful. Have you read uh, Brian Zant at all? Beauty will save the world. Uh, I have. Yeah. yeah. So this, this kind of idea, we actually did a podcast on this a little bit earlier on in the year, but uh, you know, I'm currently in London and you walk into these old cathedrals, you know, 
and, and you get when you walk into these cathedrals, the architecture itself pulls you into an experience that's that's beyond what you can maybe measure or even really understand. You know, and I, and I even think in our evangelical world, so much of our gathering is built toward the proclamation of the word, so it's very information rational based. Whereas in other parts of our Christian family, so much of the gathering is built toward the Eucharistic experience, you know, which is more mystical and embodied and pulls you into something, you know, and it's not necessarily the the measuring of one against the other, but I just think you're pressing into something really important there in terms of our Christianity in, in some ways, in certain parts of our family, losing some of that beauty and, and losing some of that experience. And I wonder for you, when you gave yourself to that journey, um, how did that affect your relationship with God in that space? You know, because I think a lot of the reason God calls us into creating is because he wants to meet us there in a powerful way. And so as you kind of gave yourself license for that work, how did that change the dynamic of your friendship with Jesus there? Well, first of all, back to what you just said about uh, the preaching of the word in the evangelical context being information exchange, like that is a huge issue. And I actually resist that concept. It's actually one of the main drivers behind the massive amount of deconstruction that we have happening in the Western church right now. So the way I actually view preaching is I don't, I don't view I don't view sermonizing as um, information exchange as much as I view it as doxology. So like to me, uh, the proclamation of the word should never be about people getting smarter. It, sh- it, it, can, it can include that, but it should always be about engagement with the living Christ. You know, yeah. like, like the so best kind of preaching is leading the church up the mountain in some form of doxological uh, uh, encounter with the living Christ. So for me, I, I think the, even the shift artistically was undergirded by a theological shift for me where uh, evangelical motivation is, is um, well, it's eschatological. So, so there are commitments to an eschatology within the bulk of evangelicalism that are really fear-based and they, they work from an idea that dependence upon the vessel to persuade the other into the kingdom of God is like, it's what we're doing. It's the project we're, we're working on. So, so all of the turns within the 20th century towards, towards relevance, towards power. And then I'm talking within the Western church. Those were, those were all motivated by our eschatology like and just to interrupt you if you're listening and you and the word if the word eschatology doesn't make sense to you and it's just referring to like um the theology of the end like how does how does stuff end where does this all go and so heaven and hell conversation basically yeah so what you believe about the end directly informs what you're doing in the now brilliant okay so uh so what I'm not saying is that I don't believe in, I mean, I, 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 I do believe in hell. I don't think you can take the scriptures seriously 
and, and neglect what Jesus said about hell. I'm not sure how all of that plays out. <laughs> yeah. But I would say this, where I've grown in my theology is a greater reliance on God to build his kingdom. Yes. Now, what I'm not saying is, is that I don't, I, that we no longer have a responsibility to co-labor with the spirit of God in the endeavor of proclaiming the gospel. But I think the shift for me is I've moved from a persuasion orientation to a proclamation orientation. Mm, mm, so in a, in a persuasion orientation, all of the fruit bearing responsibility is reliant on the vessel in a proclamation orientation. We, all we have to do is be obedient. And then we let God build his church. We let, we let God build his kingdom. We let God deal with mankind. So another way you could say it is you're trusting grace more than you're trusting in your own ability to control other people. Right. Right. Now, now even in my life, everything that I'm doing in my outward facing ministry is all about philosophical wrestling. So, so I'm not saying we should dis disengage from culture that we should disengage from the conversation, but the, the shift is that I am no longer trying to win the culture war. I am no longer trying to dominate the seven mountains of influence within the world because I don't believe that the kingdom of God's uh, universal power is, is going to lose anything if I don't achieve dominance within the world of entertainment politics, science and medicine, technology, whatever, whatever those, those seven mountains, you know, that, that famous, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, sermon. Um, so like, and, and it, it really is a reliance upon weakness more than it is reliance upon strength. So there is a foolishness associated with sermonizing and preaching. There is a foolishness associated with giving your life to making great art for the sake of art. There's a foolishness with, with choosing the losing side, like picking to be on the losing side. There's a foolishness associated with that. There's a foolishness associated with making Jesus Christ your God, because he's the God who dies. He's the God who associates with the poor and the meek. He's the God who sides with the outcast, right? So we've already chosen the losing side. I think I was asking the question of when you gave yourself to the journey of what art was inviting you into in its purest sense and kind of throwing off the constraints of the, I guess you would say that kind of evangelical stream of expectation, just let it be. 
How did Jesus yes. meet you in that? And even as you're talking, I'm seeing some of those streams come through, but maybe if you could kind of, you know, bring that thought there for us. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's been a bit of a challenge, of course, because I, I have to learn that my journey is not the journey of all the other people around me. Right. So even when God takes you into other depths of revelation, God doesn't show us things so that we can go around beating people up with our revelation, you know? Uh, so I, I can be in a context where the, you know, like I, I grew up charismatic. I'm, I'm, well acquainted with all revival theology, revival hopes, you know, all of the meta narratives of, of worldwide revival, I'm a hundred percent familiar with. Um, but those words create a mat, they have imaginations attached to them. Right. So words are really important. So, so what I've realized is that I, my people, my tribe of people, have put all of their eggs into this one basket called revival and they're praying into it. They're hoping for it. They're, they're building all of their substructures, getting ready for this thing that's going to happen. And so I can be in the middle of that type of thing and be completely happy because I know what's happening. I, I'm like, these are people with hopeful hearts that are are using the words that they currently have to describe things that they don't really know anything about, but they're trying to be faithful to Jesus. And I can bless that all day long. Right. I may disagree with the conclusions and I may not want to talk about this the way that they're talking about it. But I think that that's why that's part of the joy of being alive. God gives us these jobs to do these projects to work on. And we may face resistance, we may face misunderstanding, we may face all kinds of obstacles. Nevertheless, if we're going to truly follow Jesus, we're going to have to maybe go into some of these places by ourselves. Amen. So I think my relationship with Christ has grown because I've just had to rely more on trusting him through these these, uh, well, all of the, you know, you've experienced this. We've all experienced these things where there's people that we love and we have, we have come to completely different conclusions about what the scriptures say. And I know? think in that place for me, uh, just jumping in on that thought is like, what's been really helpful for me is recognizing that we are, uh, we're co-pilgrims, like we're in this yep. thing together. So, so a hundred percent, I can honor my path and I can honor what I'm seeing, but that doesn't necessarily disqualify what you're seeing or what you're experiencing. In fact, you know, when I very much relate to kind of your stream of what you're thinking, I guess that's why we're talking, but it's yeah. like, what I'm learning there is that as I enter into the mystery of Jesus and, and how beautiful that is, there becomes a lot of scope for the tension in the middle, you know? hundred percent. Yeah. So then for me, it doesn't have to be this kind of, um, competitive dialogue all the time. And I think what that does is that creates a, an atmosphere in which authentic relationship can happen. So I can sit yeah. down across the table from someone who does believe differently than me, think differently than me, and we can we can find each other somewhere there. I think about uh, Leslie Newbigin, who was like a sociologist event, yeah? And he talks about this idea of dialogical evangelism. It's like, yes. you know, Jesus is the ultimate. I don't own him. You know, yes. <laughs> neither do you, neither does the other person. And what does it mean for us to yeah. meet each other in that search? You know? Yes. And I think that what you've just, uh, e even, even talking about Leslie is like, uh, 
he was so good at challenging um, embedded Western worldviews. Right. Uh, I mean, he one of his famous stories is how he talks about being in India for a few decades and coming back to the West and just weeping at how how cold or how how entrenched in some thought processes that the church in the West had had become. And and I think that what's so funny about me is that I I get misconstrued as being a deconstructionist very often uh, because I I continually rail against evangelical normatives. But it but it's not I'm not coming from a place of wanting to tear down the body of Christ. I I really am I'm want I'm wanting the body of Christ to come into who she really is and I think we've gotten we've lost our way in some some serious theological missteps. Like for one, like in America, like the prosperity gospel has overtaken so much of our church. I mean, it, and it, it's, it's, it, it's snuck in. Like it is, it has become like, like Christ as the gatekeeper or the, the, the standard bearer of optimism is everywhere in the body of Christ. And that grieves me. So, so to me, that's, that's the work that I'm doing. I want to, I want to save people out of the meaninglessness of, of putting their their hopes in avarice, you know, like this this need for wanting stuff. Like, you know, we have big box stores everywhere here in, in the southeast, Target and and Walmart, and it's just like there's just so much stuff being sold all the time. And you know, I just I, I hear so much conversation and articulation coming out of the church where, where people's Christianity is built upon this thing of, of, oh, I'm blessed by God if I have all of this stuff coming my way. And I'm like, wow, what a, what a, what a meager way of describing your spiritual walk with the living God is whether you have food or not, or whether you have a new car or not, or whether you, it's like, that would discount the faith of the majority of people who are walking with Christ in the world today. I want to jump in here, Andy, because you know, um, yeah, uh, you speak a lot about deconstruction in your writing and how cautious you are of deconstruction. Uh, but just to agree with you, when I read your writing, I see this theme of deconstruction coming through. And one of the ones you wrote, which was so good, it says, um, um, "It's okay not to have a crisis of faith." <laughs> I mean, it's okay if you do have a crisis of faith, but feel free not to manufacture one. Doubt is normal, but it's not as normal as faith, you know? And yeah. I just I just loved how you framed that, man. And then you just yeah. kind of, like in a world at the moment where everything is, is being viewed through a skeptical lens, within yeah. that you kind of just held up the basics and were like, 
man, go to church, read your Bible, yep. <laughs> pray to Jesus. And so it, I did find that interesting. In the one sense, your, your work carries a deconstructive tone and yet the message sure. of it is very orthodox in a sense, you know? Um, 100%. And I wondered if you could just speak to some of that and, and, and how to help people. And the reason I think this is so important is because I speak to a lot of people, I think similarly like you're describing, who, who are struggling with Christian faith, not because they're not devoted, but because they are. And yes. because, because of their desire for Jesus are really struggling to accept what we're calling Christianity because they see the dissonance between what they yes. read in the Bible and what they see in the world. And maybe you could give us yes. some thoughts for that listening group of people. How do we navigate that? What does that look like? What is a good deconstruction, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so this is so fascinating. Like I, I, I think I spend probably 75% of my life talking with people who are coming up against their evangelical upbringing. So, so they are living in the world and they're the philosophical undergirding that they were given through their meta story, which for many of these folks is just down the middle of the road, evangelical Christianity. They find that it is insufficient to deal with the existential questions of life. Yes. And so I believe that the deconstructionism that we are experiencing as the zeitgeist of culture right now is not fully the fault of the church, but there's a mixture between culture in general combined with this lack of hard work coming from within the church that has left people, young people especially, going out into the world without without the uh, intellectual ability to really face the world. Now, I'm not making a case that all of us need to be apologists or apologeticists, because that's not what I'm talking about at all, because that's not what I am. I'm, I'm actually going back to some very medieval ways of thinking about Jesus. So one of, the, one of the ways that I talk to people a lot is I say things like, I need a God. That's such a strange thing to say within modern, in the modern world. I am a person who acknowledges that they need a God. That's, that's a very bizarre phrase. But if you can take people to that place where they they are like, uh, if they can acknowledge their need for a God, you at least have a starting point of why. Why Jesus? Why any God at all? Because, because who we, I believe this, who we are as creatures is that we were always going to worship something. Yeah. That is just who we are. And, and whether that is, is the God of pleasure or the God of consumeristic pursuit or the, or the, or some other ambition, you know, you know, all the, all the regular gods that people go after, but it really does take people off guard when you stand up to the podium, get behind the microphone and you say, I acknowledge that I'm a, a creature who needs a God. Yeah. That yeah. just is like, whoa. 
Totally. Modern people don't say things like that. So in the evangelical church, what we try to do, instead of stepping up to the microphone and saying, people need a God and Jesus is the one who claimed to be God and he has ways that we should follow. Instead of, instead of doing that, what we do is we try to create these spectacles. We, we get a smoke machine and we get balloons and confetti and we try to like create this relevant message that is kind of like in step with culture. We try, you know, it's, it's like we try to be something that then that we're not like, like the world is slick, man. We are not going to be able to out world the world. Relevance <laughs> is so like, it's so tiresome. Yeah. I, 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 I want to just make a case for primitive belief. That's mm. what I want to do. I want to spend my life making a case for becoming a primitive. Like, like if you can just tell people, Hey, listen, it's okay. We know that you can't sleep at night because you're afraid of death. We know that you can't sleep at night because you don't know the meaning of life. We don't know the meaning of life either. We're afraid of death too, but we have come across these words of this man who claimed to be the Christ, who Sorry, claimed man. specifically to be the son of God, not that he is the universe, that he is the unfeeling universe, the cosmic Christ. No, to hell with all that. You know, like this, this strange Gnosticism that a lot of these deconstructionists are preaching to us is the same thing that's coming out of like the new age religion of the last 3000 years that are trying to remove the personhood of Christ and the transcendence of Christ. And to me, to my mind, those are the only things that we have going for us is the personhood of Christ and the transcendence of Christ. Yeah, and I think yeah. that if, if we can convince people that you can be a primitive in the modern world Love and that, that. you it, it's okay to be out of step with culture, it's okay to be out of step with the evangelical church, mm. that you that you may be alone in that, but you are not alone because you have Christ in that. You may suffer, but suffering's a gift. Yeah. You may suffer, but suffering is a gift. And in that place, you will find things out about the living Christ that you, you would have never known otherwise in your land of luxury. And you know what's fascinating to me, Andy, is like that message is only compelling to someone who's truly after union with God, right? Yes. And and yes. that's what's so interesting is like uh, because we have not um, dug up the buried idols of our own hedonistic pursuits, because we've tried to paint that over and sanctify those things in the name of Jesus, we really oh, yes. struggle to bring a compelling gospel narrative that's true to scripture because it affronts those idols. And it's, yes. you know, is this idea I came across recently of ontological lightness, you know, like mm. the, the state of our existence being anchored to things that are so temporary and so light. And then we yes. do that with Jesus as well. And we try and attach his worth to those things that are fading. But what you're talking about is to say, no, no, we want to push through all of that. I love this primitive thing. Like we want to get right down to the bedrock of we can know yes. God and that's enough. You know, that's right. Yeah. Yes. I, and this was such a fascinating post. Like you, you've been reading from the post where I said, it's okay if you don't deconstruct. Yeah. I, that, 
that thing went in a place I, I never imagined it would. It, it's my most viral post. I all, all of I I was attacked. People were sending me ugly DMs because I was challenging their their deconstruction and and so but that wasn't my intent at all. But but more recently, I did a post last week where I said health and wealth are not signs of God's blessing. And you would not believe the pushback I got over that. I had one person who was, um, they weren't trying to be difficult. They were asking the legitimate question, if health and wealth are not the sign of God's blessing, then what is? And I I just thought to myself, oh my goodness, this, we we may have an issue of, of, um, we may have an issue of, biblical illiteracy so so it 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 could be that people have never even read the claims of christ you know one of the the one of the issues that i run into all the time is this this uh the the idea of christian distinctives is actually been lost in the last 10 20 years where because there's so much of an effort to create uh, more of an inclusive sounding gospel, mm-hmm. which, which I believe Christ was absolutely inclusive. He was, he was drawing circles of inclusion around people that the Pharisees and Sadducees were counting out of the house of God. You know, um, Jesus was definitely turning over the tables of the religious Pharisees but I would say that we've kind of lost our way a little bit in the in the claims department. Like Jesus was, he was so severe in his calling people out of their false gods. Jesus actually does have terms of exclusivity. Yes. So so we cannot talk about Jesus as being. I mean, he receives as many as who want to come. Right. This is the thrust of the gospel is Jesus is proclaiming the gates are open wide for anybody who wants to come. But once we enter through that gate, dang, those those terms that he gives folks for leaving behind their false gods. They end up excluding us. I mean, I think of that that story of the the rich young ruler. Yeah, you know, he was excluded from the company of Jesus. Jesus didn't exclude him. That man excluded himself because he didn't like the terms that Christ put forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think you can read the scripture seriously and not see those things. Totally. I don't think you can build a case that that like this is just a free for all that all religious ideas in the world are created equal that all of these religious leaders are created equal like Jesus made claims totally. that definitely refute that he was on an equal plane with the Buddha or you know, with the gods of Hinduism or the gods of the secular age, 
he made distinctions between himself and the rest of those gods. Absolutely. It makes me think of the church of Acts, right? And these disciples are, are doing all these crazy things. And then there's the Ananias and Sapphira story. It just gets wild. But then what's so crazy is it says, and everybody was afraid of them because they, they didn't dare join them. But people were add to their number daily. So there was this weird thing. In, you know, when you talk about relevance, it's like, Man, the people of God have never been relevant. We've always been a peculiar right. people. They, we are yeah. a distinctive. There's a differentness about us. You know, I think about Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. Like, there's a call, man. Like, when God calls a man, yeah. he bids him come and die. That's the call, you know? And, and so that is the gospel. And I think we've underplayed that because Jesus has become like the hand servant to the desires that we won't acknowledge our wayward. I even think about yeah. the idea of like integration, you know? Because at the moment, the gospel's just been like turned into a tool for self-actualization, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's like a soft prosperity kind of thing. It's like Jesus is yep. your cosmic therapist kind of thing. And it's yep. not that Jesus doesn't care. He's, a, he's, in, he's in that. But it's like, how does he actually love us? I think, I think integration is part of it in that like the false self, the ego projection, that thing we push out out front of us must meet the reality of who we are. So they, that integration is important. There must be that self-acceptance. But then it's like, unto what? You know? Yes. Unto Christ-likeness. Yes. So <laughs> now we walk, now we go, you know? And and I, 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 you know, some of the things that I resist within culture too are, are terms like self-care. You know, you mentioned self-actualization. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's tricky because I actually do believe that God created us to not hate ourselves. Totally. He, he, he didn't create us to loathe ourselves. I, I'm not just a filthy old sinner that God is gritting his teeth and enduring. I'm his beloved. So, so in, 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 the, in a sense, I can't even love my neighbor unless I have a profound appreciation for who God made me to be. But I will say this, that that cost that cost of following Jesus will actually sometimes end up looking like me diminishing. There, there, there is for many of us a call to diminishment in some way. And I think that is a hard pill for many of us to swallow with, with our, our current cultural value system. Totally. Man, I, I see that self-actualization thing wreaking havoc in a lot of people right now. Totally. And I, and I do think, you know, we mustn't, um, when you're talking about that, I, I mean, you know, when you use the word beloved, Henry Nowen and thinkers like that just ring out for me, you know, that's just yes. so helpful that I'm not what I have. I'm not what I do. I'm not what anyone thinks about me. I'm not where I'm from. Uh, I am the beloved of God. You know, that's my foundational identity. Yes. And I think that's so important. Yes. But, but then I think, it, again, the next question is, well, what does love look like? <laughs> right? So love leads me to the good. And the good yes. is the liberation. I need to be free from the bondages yes. of the self. That's what the that's gospel right. is inviting me to, you know. So, yeah. that, so, so embracing death to self doesn't mean deprecation of self. Those things are not mm -hmm. synonymous. I don't have to hate myself in order that's to understand right. that the way that I enter into the fullness of life, John 10, 10, 10, is actually through a kind of death, you know, and that's the gospel. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I think like Jesus, for example, is the ultimate sacrament, like his whole life, 
And so this is why it's so important that this is why the podcast isn't called Believer. Mm. <laughs> this is why it's called yeah. Follower, you know, yes. because we, we want to take on the lifestyle of Christ in order to enter into the life of Christ. And there so is good. no resurrection without a crucifixion. All of us must enter into that, that whole journey, you know. Amen. You were opening up a book there. Did you have any thoughts? Yeah, I I have this. I found this book at a garage sale years and years ago, and it's it's in my study right next to my desk. And I it's it's called the Encyclopedia of Religious Quotes. Okay. The Encyclopedia yeah. of Religious Quotations. And I and I opened this book. This was about this was I was at a garage sale in Amarillo, Texas, in 2012. So so going on 10 years now, and I opened this book. I read it, it's alphabetized. These quotations are, I read the very first quote and I bought the book because this one quote drastically changed the trajectory of the way I was thinking about life in Christ. And, and this was by a man named Sir Francis Bacon. And he said, this prosperity is the blessing of the old Testament. Adversity is the blessing of the new which carries the greater benediction benediction, and the clearer revelation of God's favor. Prosperity is not without many fears and distastes. Adversity is not without many comforts and hopes. Wow. And I was, I was stunned because I had just come out of one of the severest suffering seasons of my life. But in that season, I discovered God in ways that I had never experienced when I had spent so much of my life's energy and effort trying to avoid suffering. Wow. Trying to avoid trouble. And I, I don't go looking for trouble now. <laughs> I'm just not afraid. I'm just not afraid of it the way I once was. Yeah. And that brings me to a, a one more quote that we'll use and then kind of land the plane here. But you say, uh, you're not afraid of joy. You're not afraid of suffering. You, you're okay to carry the weight of your world, you know? And as mm. I read that, uh, my question, I was just interested to say, what are you carrying at the moment in your world? What is, what's the weight that you're carrying and how is that leading you into more of Jesus? Yeah. Oh man. I love that question. Okay. So here, th there are, sometimes I wish I was born a hundred years ago because I don't feel up to the task of wrestling through the issues of our day. You know, I, I, I have, I have felt already the pain of losing friends over theological issues already. Mm. And I anticipate losing more friends over theological issues in the future. And because I'm rooted in the church, and because I have many friends who are making decisions to go away from the church, to go away from faith, there will be, and there has been, an ongoing sense of loss 
sense of losing, a sense of affliction. Not I, I've never really experienced persecution, so I'm, I'm not going to put myself in that category. But people, people must acknowledge to themselves that we often make decisions in one philosophical direction or another because we know that we will receive a pat on the back, an affirmation, or an attaboy with the directions that we choose. And I have seen so many people not be able to withstand the pressures of culture and decide to jump off into the belief systems of culture because what they experience when they do that is a great sense of relief mm. rather wow. than wow. rather than the burden of staying with Christ gosh so that's what i'm saying when i when i'm carrying the weight of this world i'm happy to do it because it's the ongoing weight the ongoing burden of people abandoning ship because they can't take the heat anymore. I'm not allowed to judge them and I'm not allowed to join them because of the call of Christ that's on my life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, and I know that there are other people who have, I have, I have dear, dear friends who are either pastoring churches or uh, in some type of, ministry project in, in, in another place. And there's constantly the sense that the church is lost, that we've lost to culture. The culture war has been lost. The church is no longer viable. The, our seats will be empty by the year 2030. I just, I just read an article this morning that was put out by the gospel coalition that said something crazy, like 69% of people who identify as evangelical Christians do not believe that the Holy spirit is even a person. Wow. They, they think of the Holy spirit as like a force or like this kind of like weird descriptive term of the father and son. And if you, if all we were doing was listening to church statistics experts we would have to wring our hands and prepare for our ultimate doom. And maybe that is what we should be doing. But it's like, I'll go back to what we were talking about earlier. I don't have a sense of doom. I don't have a sense that this is a failed project because I know that even if we lose and even if we end up with nobody sitting in our seats, that Jesus knows what he's doing. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And the Father knows what he's doing. And ultimately, all of this is in their hands. And we are just kind of along for the ride, paying attention to their beckoning us, right? And we just do our little part and go as we may. Andy, thank you, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I've, I've oh, you're so welcome. It's been such a pleasure.
Yeah, I hope this is the first of a few, hey? Yeah, yeah, anytime. Just it's hit me so up good. anytime. And uh, I, I saw a little a little um, hint that there's a book coming out from you. Is that true? Yep, we have my my first volume is called Poet Priest Volume 1, and we are, uh, it's actually releasing this month. Okay, and where so, can guys well, get this? Where can they get a hold yeah, of it? Yeah, so, so um, my website is andysquires.com. It's S-Q-U-Y-R-E-S. Uh, we don't have, we don't have the order ordering mechanisms up just yet, but probably by the time that your folks actually get this podcast, it will be up and raring to go. But if folks want to follow me on Instagram, we're going to just, you know, obviously promote the fire out of it and, you know, hopefully encourage some people with this volume. Totally, man. Hey, we're so excited. Uh, I'm so excited. If it's anything like what you've been putting out, um, it's a needed voice in the church. And just to encourage you, man, I think sometimes when you uh, step out into some of that, uh, what I would call in our short conversation, some of that prophetic function in the truest yeah. sense, that can be a hard and lonely journey. But um, mm. as as I listen to you, if it's even just me, uh, you're not alone in this, you know. Um, Amen. So much Amen. of what you're teaching and preaching, communicating resonates deeply with me. And it's a help to the church. And so I just, I pray that you would be encouraged and strengthened even in this conversation, man. Oh, thank you so much, brother. I, I feel it. You know, I, it is, it is, I'm, I'm a person who is easily encouraged. So I don't, it, it takes a lot for me to lose heart. And <laughs> I, even, even in the sense of like forerunner type work that I do, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it can come with a sense of like, am I crazy yeah. But I think that's healthy. I think that's it's it's healthy to keep asking yourself that question. Um, but I do enjoy the the fellowship of the saints, and I am I'm constantly gathering with fellow believers. So I stay with my 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 fire lit, you so know. Good. So that's what I would if I was to leave anything with your listeners, I would yeah, say that's a, that's a good thing. Stay with the church. Stay with the bricks and mortar of the church. Because honestly, for all of the all of the critique that we deserve, and all of the sin that we should be confessing and repenting of, according to the Apostle Paul, the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. That is our inheritance. That's our lifeblood. And I, I enjoy the reality of of that idea that Paul was explaining. And I think that folks do well to stay with the church. That's so helpful. Great place to end. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the follow-up podcast. We appreciate you, man. Until we meet again. Yeah, totally. Cheers, Andy.